Hello, and welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and what it takes to cultivate a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I'm clinical psychologist, Dr. Steve Thayer, and today on the podcast, my co-host, Dr. Reed Robison, and I talk about anger. Anger is a difficult emotion for many of us to navigate, including myself, which you will discover by listening to today's episode. Reed and I try to normalize anger for you. We discuss the difference between adaptive and maladaptive expressions of anger. We talk about the different categories of emotion generally and about anger specifically. Try to give you some tips on how to develop a healthy relationship to anger and a lot more. Uh, we know that there are a lot of things out there competing for your attention, so thank you. Thank you for shaving off a portion of your valuable attention for us today. We try to make these episodes informative, entertaining, and useful. So if you have feedback to that end for us, please email us at psychfrontiers at novamind.ca. Reed and I are not on social media very often, but if you'd like to follow us, we are on Instagram. I am at Dr. Steve Thayer, and Reed is at Innerspace Doctor. Reed has way more followers than I do, and it makes me angry. So, you know, in the spirit of today's episode on anger, please follow me on Instagram. Uh, if you're willing, please give us a review or a like or a subscribe, depending on the platform you're on. That sends a message to the, you know, the algorithmic overlords to boost our signal so that we can get in front of as many people as possible. So without further ado, here's today's episode on anger. Reed, let me tell you a story about anger. No awkward intro? No, this is my effort at eliminating... Well, I don't know. <laughs> awkward intros are going to... They could become our trademark. Signature move. Let's just go to the story. We, we, could, sit <laughs> not, we could sit in awkward silence for a minute if you want. <laughs> Namaste. Okay, here's a story. Here we go. So, like many human beings, I have a uh, sorted past with respect to the emotion anger. That's what we're going to talk about today, by the way. Anger. And... Mm. Uh, Here's an example from my life. Brace yourselves, listeners, for a vulnerable story from Steve Thayer's life. So uh, my children struggle with really significant nut allergies, and we've mm. treated it through uh, oral immunotherapy, where you give them small doses of the nut they're allergic to, and over time you increase those doses and they develop some resistance. So now, you know, a, a walnut cookie won't kill my son. It'll just make him uncomfortable. So, mm -hmm. but in order to maintain that immunity, they have to, they have to eat nuts every morning. The nuts they're allergic to. We call it their dose. They have to do their dose every morning. So, you know, I've been trying to get up early and work out and it's a struggle, but the other day I did it. I got up at six. I'm in my garage, you know, my little man gym. My, nice work. Just, and I've got my, uh, my trap bar loaded up with some weight. I'm going to do hard stuff. I'm going to do deadlifts and, you know, I'm tired. I'm a little jittery too because I've got a lot of caffeine on board to compensate for not sleeping well enough. So I'm like, okay, I did it. And then right as I'm about to do my first rep, the garage door opens and there's my 11 year old. And he's like, dad, we're out of peanuts. I need peanuts for my dose. And I was overcome with rage, just so angry. And I was a little like taken aback by my <laughs> rage. And my poor son, he just, he can tell cause I'm bald and very Caucasian. And so my, you know, my, my head lights up like Rudolph's nose. I just get real red, you know? And, uh, and he, you know, he's quiet and he's sort of just watching and I'm like, why didn't you tell me yesterday? And it's like, it's not his job <laughs> to, <laughs> to do the grocery store order at the Thayer household. It's not, you know, he's not our, our, our in charge of the stock peanut inventory. Yeah. He's yeah. not in charge of peanut inventory. And he just sort of was like, well, I don't know, sort of mumbles. And I said, fine. I'll go to the store. I'll go to freaking Walmart and, and I'm just really <laughs> uncharitable. Right. So I get in the car and I'm driving to Walmart at six in the morning and, uh, the rage is still kind of bubbling, but now it's mixing with something else. Now it's mixing with shame because mm. like you should not have reacted that way. He didn't deserve that from you. And then it's like, uh, frustration. I wanted to work out this morning and I'm just sort of in this stew of emotion and I'm gripping the steering wheel of my 2013 paid for Honda Civic and just scream. I just let out this, like I did. It was the F word. I screamed. Oh, the F word. No. Don't say that. I'm going to lose <laughs> followers that are related to you. That's right. <laughs> At least one listener who and she knows who she is. will stop listening. Um, so I just scream the F word like super loud. 
And Good so, job. so loud that, well, <laughs> this is, I think it, I think it, you know, we're going to talk about healthy expressions of anger. We're going to talk about different types of anger. This is one way that I have sort of decompressed anger in my life when it feels like, especially if I've been shoving it down, um, yeah. is in private, typically in my car, yelling really loudly. And so I, you know, I scream the F word and then I'm, and I'm like, whoa, it's like I got, it's like I poured cold water in my face with this scream. Like I felt, felt better. I felt better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my throat didn't feel great, but I felt <laughs> a little bit better. So I make it to Walmart and I get the, the nuts and I come back and, uh, throw them. I just <laughs> like, here are your goddamn nuts. <laughs> like, no. no, I came in. I was like, guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I reacted nice. the way that I did. Uh, and you know, my sons are like, you know, this is a common pattern in the Thayer household. I remember one time related story. Um, I raised my voice at one of my kids. This was years ago. And, uh, I don't want to give the impression I yell a lot. I actually don't. I'm, I'm a pretty chill dad, but every, I haven't heard you yell, but yeah, every once in a while I, I, um, you know, I'm not perfect. So, so I had done that and the kids were in bed and I, as is customary when I make a parenting mistake on, I'm on my way upstairs to their bedroom to apologize. And before I get to the door, I hear my sons who are sharing a room talking (laughs) and, and one of them goes, don't worry about it. Like, don't worry. You know, dad's going to come up and apologize anyway. And my heart like melted. I was like, okay, they, they recognize that I am uh, (laughs) just human and they, and they, they know they can trust that even though if I get angry at them and and I'm scary or whatever, that I'm going to come up and I'm going to repair, I'm going to try to repair the relationship. Great thing to model. Yeah. Like, yeah, isn't that beautiful that you can feel the rage, let it move through you, not throw the peanuts at anyone, right, right. <laughs> and then uh, have a good, vulnerable human conversation about it and apologize and show your kids that you're human too. Right. Yeah, yeah so feeling emotions is obviously, well, I hope it's obvious to everybody, is um, a feature of being a human. And yeah. we wanted to talk specifically about anger today, mm-hmm. because I think anger is, is one of those emotions that, uh, we, we don't typically understand really well as sort of your just regular everyday human or deal with very well. Yeah. Anger is feared, avoided, and has a lot of healing power in it. Yeah. And it's very protective too. Like it's there for it. It evolved for a very good reason. So why don't we start there then Reed? Um, emotions are there for a reason. Yeah. Anger included. So anger is in us and, and you can think of it in a lot of different ways, but one of, one of those ways is that it's a messenger, like all other emotions. It's there to communicate something to you. Yeah. Uh, like fear, for example, is usually there to communicate the presence of a threat. And without fear, you wouldn't perceive that threat and you might be harmed. So it's adaptive in that way. It's like, oh my gosh, there's the mm-hmm. bear, run away. So what do you think the, the adaptive function of anger is what is the message that anger is trying to communicate to us to protect mm-hmm. right to um hold your boundaries protect yourself or your tribe right um to uh yeah and the problem lies in the fact that in our culture far too often it's avoided suppressed interrupted mm-hmm. not felt and then well, as our our friend and mentor and you know author we admire so much, Gabor Mate says in his what was the book? The body says no. Mm. Talks about how when these emotions are feared or avoided, the body's going to store them somewhere, like in the right. form of tightness, disease, walls going up, uh, things like that. Um, yeah, it doesn't disappear, does it? it doesn't dissolve. Yeah, because emotions are there for a reason. They're evolutionary, adaptive signals that give us information of how to navigate life in a good way. And when you tune them out, yeah, you don't have those that uh, control panel, those messengers, like you called them, telling you, like, stay away from that cliff. Oh, you know, fight that bear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Run. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You need comfort. You need, uh, you need space, things like that. Right. Yeah. And I think with anger in particular, it's, as you said, it's uh, a signal that your boundaries might be being violated or are in danger of being violated and you need to stand up for yourself. Or, uh, 
it's some kind of injustice has been done and maybe you want to rectify that. Yeah. Um, and you see this sort of epidemic of niceness and I'm not, and when I say niceness, I don't mean like people being kind and charitable. I mean, uh, being super polite, overly people polite. pleasing, yeah. not speaking one's truth, things it, like that. And it results in a sort of self-denial. Uh, yeah. one thing I've heard about said about people who are chronically nice is that they don't know who they are typically because mm-hmm. anger helps you assert who you are in your world. If somebody's saying, I need you and want you to be this way or do this, and it doesn't jive with who you are, what your goals are, what your values are, anger can help you step into your power, to use a yeah. trendy phrase, and uh, draw the boundaries. Like, no, it helps you say no. And if you don't do that, like you were referring to earlier, if you say yes when you should say no, where does that go? It goes down inside. And it can manifest as stomach pain or it can manifest in other ways like passive aggression. Depression. Yeah. yeah. Feel some mix of undifferentiated emotions keeping us stuck and confused. Right. Yeah. Another thing you mentioned I think is worth um, pointing out just because it's part of this useful emotion primer that I think we can't get enough of because they're so important is when you said you turned red Mm -hmm. and your body, your body shows what emotion you're feeling to you, maybe even to others. But uh, that's another thing I like to remember about emotions is they are signals that give us information of how to navigate life. And they also have a bodily felt sense that's unique to individuals, but often common themes like that flushing, blood Mm -hmm. pumping, you know, ready to stand one's ground in anger, for example. Um, And then there's an action tendency. There's a vector of direction with it. Like um, anger as an emotion brings up a very different physiologic response than sadness or grief, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of this emotion heat map that Huberman posted on his Instagram. It's, it's not his, I've seen it. it yeah. Was, I like it that uh, graphic, that paper a lot. Yeah. And it's not a heat map in the sense that they were actually doing, uh, you know, infrared scans on these people. This is where people report feeling yeah. the manifestations, that bodily felt sense of certain emotions. And I remember anger is like this hotness in the head and in the hands, and the, you know, the upper extremities. Yeah. And that's exactly where I tend to feel it. And a lot of times people will feel the, the physical sensations before they feel the emotion, before they're even aware of the presence of the emotions. Mm-hmm. Like I just know that I've, I've got uh, butterflies in my stomach or yeah. I know that my face is getting hot. But if you ask me, how do I feel? I might not be able to tell you. Yeah. So they have this bodily felt sense that we can recognize. There's an action tendency and there's usually an underlying need. There you go. Like you're sad. You might need comfort. You know, you, uh, you're angry. You might need to speak it, feel it, stand your ground, uh, mm-hmm. move that's, through it. That's yeah. part of the message, I think, is the need. Like emotions are, are communicating a need. And if we believe that, if we can accept that premise, mm-hmm. then it follows that denying those emotions or not allowing them to be expressed in an adaptive way is denying your needs. Yeah. It's at the very least not meeting an important need. Which is like kind of a... F- funny thing to do to ourselves and we yeah. all do it so much is we have these evolutionary cool things that evolved to give us rapid information and uh yet our culture we've been taught that especially in uh gender norms and mm-hmm. stereotypes like like women especially have been told like don't display anger or men traditionally at least don't display sadness right. but but if you don't display that sadness, uh, how will people know you're sad and you need comfort? Or how will you um, like tune in and feel that and act on the, the need, the wisdom that's coming from within you? Right. Yeah. So that answers the question. Why do, why do we, um, as modern humans, not just by default manage our emotions and metabolize our emotions and listen to our emotions in really healthy ways? It's partly because of our conditioning. And that conditioning comes from our cultural environment. It comes certainly from our uh, early childhood environment, relationships to primary caregivers like our parents or to siblings 
or to, you know, teachers, peers, they teach us for good or for ill, sometimes for ill, what you ought to do with those emotions, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it makes me think of, uh, the generations before us and how it was for them, like Mm -hmm. for my parents growing up, my grandparents, like my grandfather who fought in World War II. Like when you were sent to the war, you were conditioned, trained not to display emotions. Like he had to sit in a a foxhole for like months on end. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was just learning about this in recent months of why he never wanted to go camping, Mm. things like that. Mm -hmm. It's because like, it was just too triggering of this traumatic war zone experience, but where you were almost trained to not display emotions understandably. And then you bring that home from war as uh, like, oh, we don't show sadness or like squash that emotion, that emotion, this sadness, interrupt it or fall off your bike. Boys don't cry. Here's an ice cream, something like that. Yeah. And so as we were talking about before, the emotion doesn't go away just because you repress it. It trickles into other places. And then we have these sort of unspoken, but all agreed upon avenues for, in this example, for men to deal with their emotions. So you got guys who will go and to the bar and drink or guys who will, uh, they're philanderers or they'll do risky things. Um, or, you know, guys will be more violent, things like that. Or, you know, the woman who, again, this is, these are stereotypes. They're based on, um, generalities who isn't allowed quote unquote, or it's not permitted for her to express her anger. What does she do instead? She will cry. But again, the anger doesn't go, doesn't disappear. It still goes internally. Mm -hmm. So this might be a good time to discuss the difference between primary and secondary and instrumental emotions. Mm -hmm. So these are emotion categories that I learned from, um, you know, Leslie Greenberg, the, one of the kind of co-developer of emotion focused therapy. Yeah. I love that man. Yeah. This is, this is a, a kind of therapeutic approach that Reed and I both love and use in our practice all the time. Um, so he, he, and, and others, right. It's not like it was all his, but, uh, he and others developed this way of categorizing emotion. Mm-hmm. You have primary emotions. These are the emotions that, uh, show up like we were talking about before as those messengers that you have an unmet need that needs to be met or they, uh, and they're the ones that show up first. Your core emotions, another, another way to put it, right? Exactly. And there's primary adaptive emotions and then primary maladaptive emotions. And maybe we can define that like adaptive health-based supporting one's survival, maladaptive, not so productive for optimal outcomes in your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like you could say maybe primary maladaptive anger would be a rage that shows up maybe appropriately, like let's say your boundaries are being violated, but it's so intense and the action tendency that it, that it um, prompts is physical violence. Mm -hmm. And let's say it's a context in which physical violence is not adaptive, right? Let's say, you know, you're not at war or you're not in a UFC fight or something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that would be kind of, it's primary, right? But it's still maladaptive. So that is to distinguish them between secondary emotions. And these are emotions that show up in response to primary emotions that we typically either don't find acceptable because of the conditioning we've talked about earlier, or um, they're just too hard for us to to handle. We don't know how to handle them. Yeah. Let's look, maybe an example might help. Like say you're a male growing up in a time where uh, emotions are not safely felt in one's home Mm -hmm. or sadness, let's say, um, isn't allowed, but you know, maybe anger is a little more acceptable in your environment. You might, um, you might superimpose the anger on that sadness instead of displaying sadness. Right. Um, other examples. Well, so my, you know, the example I started the podcast with the anger that showed up when my son said, you know, we need more peanuts. I don't think that the anger was a primary emotion. I think it was a secondary emotion to uh, sort of some guilt I have about uh, not being on top of more things mm-hmm. at home. Yeah. And then frustration, which isn't the same as anger, yep. where I had this goal and this goal was being prevented. Like I, I was being literally the definition of frustration, right? I was, I was frustrated 
And so what showed up mm-hmm. instead was this rage because I didn't want to deal with like the guilt or the the feelings of inadequacy that I felt for you know not having good stock of my pantry. <laughs> <laughs> when when it's hysterical, it's historical, yeah, right? Trademark, so uh, your your reaction to the peanuts was big. Mm-hmm. And that suggests to me that it was coming from something other than just the peanuts. Yeah. Like there's, there's an accumulation of perhaps uh, unprocessed emotions mm-hmm. and, uh, or unhealed wounds or any combination of many things like that that bottled up and your son just pushed that button. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so if you have a reaction that seems, upon reflection, to be disproportionate to the stimulus, that's usually a good sign that there's it's a, it's a secondary emotional reaction, that there's yeah. some kind of history, as you're describing. Yeah, but uh, the good thing about it, emotions do rise and fall, mm-hmm. like waves. And uh, your anger was like this anger balloon. And uh, if you had interrupted it and squashed it somewhere... Who knows? Who knows where those things go? I mean, you yeah. could watch uh, lots of theories we have, sure. but uh, but you let it out in a in a more adaptive way than could have been. Yeah. It was certainly an intense way to let it out. Like screaming the f word in your car is is intense, but I didn't scream it at my son. Yeah, right? and I didn't. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I didn't throw the peanuts at him. Right. Um, there are other adaptive ways to ride that wave of emotion. And we'll talk about them. I think later in the podcast, like how to metabolize and handle and develop awareness of anger. But, um, one more category of emotions and that's instrumental emotions. So these are the emotions that show up that are sort of, uh, used to elicit a particular response in others. So this might be, I've learned that when I cry, I get sympathy and I don't know how else to get sympathy because I was never given it as a child. This is an example. This isn't my life. <laughs> pl- plenty of attention as a kid. Um, and so uh, this is an instrumental display of emotion to get something. Yeah. And we often these things are outside of our conscious awareness. Right. They are kind of born in the bosom of our upbringing and family um, as we figure out ways to get our needs met. And then all of a sudden we're grownups throwing tantrums to get X, Y, Z or attention or get what we want or need right. in a way that, you know, might be short-term productive towards some goals, but not long-term healthy adaptive <laughs> or um, might be interfering with our progress in life in general. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of emotion categories from an, an EFT or emotion focused therapy theoretical perspective. Yeah. There's lots of other ways to think about emotion. Those, that's just a way that I kind of like to have a working idea of emotion function in my head. On, uh, this was, I think not this past holiday season, but the year before I had bought a bunch of emotion wheels on pillows and given them as Christmas gifts to mm-hmm. like family members. And uh, it's fun to see those like um, on a sofa. It's a nice reminder. I'll just pick it up sometimes and be like, okay, what? It's a reminder to check in with your emotion because uh, we have as a culture in general distanced ourselves a little too much in my opinion from these signals that we have um, mm. that can guide us. Um, so any reminders, any practice we can do of like, what am I feeling? What do I need? I, I think is very productive work. Certainly, especially in, a, in a, a time in human existence where like, not only are we sort of disconnected from emotions, I think we actively avoid anything other than the peace. good ones. Yeah. Peace, <laughs> contentment, joy, pleasure, happiness, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's the irony or the paradox of the bad emotions, feelings. And of course, we don't categorize them as bad. We're talking about them being quite useful. But uh, who wants to, on purpose, feel the negative, difficult emotions? Mm -hmm. But the irony is that you need to, to get to the other side of that. Like, I'll give an example. Um that ties a couple of these things in or an analogy, I guess. When I was, uh, I don't know, early twenties, I was going on a road trip. Uh, I was newly married going on a road trip to Lake Powell Mm. in a used 
car with lots of miles, six figures on the odometer, mm-hmm. and uh, the check engine light came on. I wasn't very, I'd never took auto shop, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I kind of ignored it to keep up with the caravan, and uh, we made it okay to Lake Powell, but it's hot down there. This is like on the border of Utah and Arizona in the desert, <laughs> and had uh, had a pretty epic trip. That place is cool. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Um, but then coming up the hill back to uh, Utah County, Salt Lake County, um, in the summer, the check engine lights on, um, and I think like a a low oil. I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. But point is, the car overheated, broke down, cracked the engine, and died. We left it in like Page, Arizona, for. Maybe we got a few hundred bucks uh, for this several thousand dollar car to leave it with the mechanic because it was just like beyond repair. Yeah. Um, and what does it have to do with emotions? I, I forget. No, I'm just kidding. It's, <laughs> it, uh, it's like the dashboard um, that gives us signals is like emotions. And that check engine light could be anger that I'm ignoring or mm-hmm. fear that I'm ignoring. And uh, because I ignored it, it got kind of, stuffed back in there and self-destructed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a signal to you that something was wrong. And when we ignore those signals, we don't repair what's wrong. Then we get wear and tear and eventually like your car can break yeah. down. So I avoided it because it was painful to have to pull over, find a mechanic, call the caravan and say, uh, we're going, we're taking a detour. And, uh, yeah, certainly learned, a. uh, bigger painful lesson. So this is a good this is a good like example to reflect on from a compassionate lens, self-compassionate lens. Yeah. Cuz you said it was painful. It would have been painful to, to admit that something's wrong with the car, you got to pause your trip, you got to take it in, you got to pay for it, you got to wait, you got to get a rental like it's mm-hmm. a pain in the ass, right? So uh I don't love pain. I would rather avoid pain. Um, so let's have some compassion for ourselves. If mm-hmm. we're, if, if you're listening to this episode and you're reflecting kind of on your own struggles with emotion in particular anger, and you're like, Oh man, I suck at this. We all do to a certain extent. And for good reason, cause it's really hard. It's really mm-hmm. scary to face your anger. It can be really frightening to, well, to face your fear, right? Kind of goes without saying, but it can be intimidating to let yourself feel sad. So yeah, just a, a compa- self-compassion yeah. moment here. That's no, a really good point. Um, yeah, so it makes me think. Have you ever been to Hawaii, North Shore? I have, yeah. Big waves. Um, I was there once when, like, there's surf competitions. Um, these waves were huge. And I love to jump in a good wave, like, mm-hmm. whether it's boogie boarding, body surfing, or pretending to try to surf. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think we've all probably had this experience of, like, you stand in front of a big wave it hits you, you're going to get your butt kicked, Mm -hmm. right? You're going to get flattened and tumbled, tossed around. But uh, if you dive in, you can make it through the other side of that. Another emotion analogy Mm -hmm. that I heard Les Greenberg um, give once is that our emotions are like those waves. And if you just stand there and refuse to acknowledge or deal with it, eventually it's just going to knock you over. But you can surf it, ride it, dive in and make it through the other side because emotions do rise and fall and Mm -hmm. they, yeah, they, uh, they run their course and it doesn't even take that long in general. If you really give yourself the time and space and compassion to feel it. Yeah, completely. And if you're willing to do that, then you might discover that, Hey, this is a secondary emotion. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you need help like from a therapist or knowledgeable friend or whatever. Yeah. And, and, um, you'll drill down underneath your anger and you'll discover that there's like we were saying before, there's sadness there or Mm -hmm. embarrassment there or disgust or something like that. And it's, that's the emotion you need to get in touch with and ride that wave. Yeah. Because often underneath the anger is something there Mm -hmm. like that hasn't been dealt with or that is very productive to work on or some deep like sadness or unprocessed grief or um, just a pile of, like you were saying about the example, a pile of other crap beneath the surface, maybe out of your own awareness. Right. Right. Um, Anything else about sort of how we define anger or? Yeah. 
uh, two types of anger that I, I, I like as a framework. Um, there's healthy, empowered, assertive anger. Mm-hmm. Pick any of those yeah. um, at, uh, qualifiers. And then there's maladaptive or reactive or toxic. Destructive. Destructive anger. Um, yeah, there are two types. And, you know, when anger, when that wave begins, um, like your, I would call your screaming in a car instead of throwing peanuts at someone, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, a more adaptive way, right, to uh, let it rise and fall or to display it. And, it, it, and I think I agree. Um, sometimes it's hard to be charitable to myself, but yeah, because it, it allowed me to then reflect on what was underneath it. I was sort of caught up in it until I, I let it uh, decompress by screaming. Yeah. Um, and then I was able to, to, to be honest and be like, okay, what am I really feeling right now? I'm feeling like I was saying before, like some, some uh-huh. guilt or frustration. Um, and once I had access to that and gave myself space yeah. to feel it, uh, then I could come back to my kids and do like I described before. I could apologize and, um, I could actually, I had enough time to do a little bit of a workout and then I could, uh, be a little less irrational. Like, Hey, I got some uh-huh. of my workout in and maybe I'll finish it when I get home from work. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Cause there is not much of that you can do while riding the wave of that emotion mm-hmm. in the thick of it. Right. Uh, that's extremely important in couples therapy work, yeah. uh, and day-to-day life in general for all of us is like, you know, there's a lot to be said about the passage of time, even giving it a few minutes to let the emotion rise and fall before we react. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, when I think about how to, like, you hear a lot about anger management, right? Mm-hmm. This person hit his wife and he was court ordered to go to anger management. I don't love that phrase. Like, I don't love the term anger management. Yeah. I prefer, you know, like we need to uh, understand or anger processing a little bit better as a way of approaching our emotion. This, this emotion that can be really scary, uh, when it's maladaptive or destructive, like you were saying, anger can result in some terrible things, right? You can harm people, uh, when you have anger on board, especially if you're not listening to it. So yeah, we're not trying to imply like, all right, everybody feel all your feelings. They're all, you know, to their fullest extent. And if other people can't handle your feelings, screw them. That's not necessarily what we're trying (laughs) to imply. Um, but yeah. So how do we, if we're not going to use the term management and you can, I'm not saying it's terrible, but, um, how do we deal with and metabolize (laughs) and process and move through anger? I saw this headline recently. I think it was for a a talk. I think it was a TED talk on YouTube. It said like, handle your emotions before they handle you. Mm. And and while there's a good point underneath that, uh, the handling is where it needs some definition, needs some finesse and gentleness. Um, So I remember from uh, emotion-focused therapy training and from the work we've done here mm-hmm. around our emotion-focused ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Um, I've kind of taken those uh, principles and found a little easy acronym for me anyway that I call the Art of Emotion Processing. Mm. Um, and it's pretty similar to what, say, Les Greenberg might teach. He'll use different letters, but um, A-R-T. The first one is like access and, um, or awareness. Awareness, So you've got to first do what we were just talking about. It's like, what am I feeling? Um, label it, um, sense into it to kind of sit with that. And then, uh, the R would be regulate or some might call it modulate Mm -hmm. or like, um, figure out how to feel it in a, in a positive way. And then that last category, the T, um, would be transform it, um, which you could do in a number of ways, like transform it. Emotions can be transformed by corrective experiences, like your sadness, um, from a comforting hug from a loved one or, um, or, uh, maybe even through feeling the unfelt anger that the sadness might be 
masking as, um, or, you know, in other ways, but those, those are three concepts that that come to mind. I like that. And incidentally, I think the corrective emotional experience is, is often one of the really powerful components of psychedelic assisted therapy for things like PTSD, like MDMA for PTSD allows people to have a corrective emotional experience with their trauma. Mm-hmm. especially if their trauma involves any kind of self-shame. Like when I was in the Air Force, I worked with a lot of military members who had survivor guilt. You know, they were uh, their buddies got killed and they didn't. All Quote unquote, all they got was like their leg blown off and they, <laughs> or they got mm-hmm. to survive. Or if they didn't sustain any physical injuries, but they witnessed the horrors of war. Like I'm thinking about this one guy I treated who, whose friends were blown up at the gate by uh, a, a vehicle-borne IED, mm-hmm. and you know he had to go and basically pick up the pieces of people he knew, and uh, his person was never physically harmed, but just you know racked with survivor's guilt. And, yeah. and MDMA helps, uh, at least we think, right? And the trials that Maps is doing, people approach these traumas and have a corrective emotional experience with the memories. You know that yeah. you can. Uh, feel charity for yourself and compassion and love and understanding. Yeah, that's the whole um, premise behind MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD, for example, I think, is uh, you take this medicine that creates a safe space in and around you, gives you a sense of trust, warmth, comfort towards self, towards others, like your therapist, your therapy team, your uh, partner if you're doing couples work, and then you can go there. You can go back to these emotions because you can't just heal. That's the the irony and the tragedy of it all is you mm-hmm. can't just think about an old memory and heal it. Like you do have to feel it to heal it. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad that someone who's gone through a big trauma has to go there again if it is not fully processed. But um, sad, but the beauty on the other side of that is it is, can be so liberating. And MDMA is just so powerful at that kind of thing where you can have an individual who's um, being held in a safe uh, respectful, loving way with proper boundaries, uh, like the safe set and setting and container. And they can like kind of relive that experience in their yeah. emotional world um, and have it be a corrective experience this time where like they're actually allowed to cry. They're allowed to talk yeah. about it. And, and that's new and that's fresh and that changes things. It lays down new neuron pathways that you realize, wow, I can be safe. I can feel whole. I can like live fully again. Yeah. Yeah. What you're saying is it's sort of a callback to what we were talking about earlier about emotions and that they are full body for full nervous system phenomenon. Oh yeah. Um, and I started out my psychology careers, uh, sort of a cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, therapist, because I'm, I'm naturally sort of a cerebral thought kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And at this point in my career, I am convinced that the best way to heal, the most thorough way to heal is with the entire nervous system, like the, the, the whole body. We're not, yeah. we aren't like meat puppets with the computer in our head. And we we're more than that. It's, and, and so if the problem is in the body, it doesn't make sense to just address it in the mind because the mind and the body aren't separate. Anyway. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. And that's not, I'm not like saying that as a huge criticism against CBT. I think it's a great therapy approach. It has its uses for sure and happens to be gold standard intervention for a number of different conditions that need that. But other conditions like trauma, as an example, really does in many situations, many, many need a bottom-up approach, a right. body-based somatic approach to healing. Um, it's it's kind of uh, like the difference between talking about um, a relationship or a feeling, like saying, oh yeah, I love my, my partner, mm-hmm. my spouse, versus actually turning to them or even ch- turning to a chair that has in your mind's eye them sitting in it in say chair work and therapy and saying, I love you. Like that's an embodying expression expression that 
brings up the emotional experience that we can work with in the here and now. Oh yeah. yeah. I can't tell you how many traumatized vets I've worked with that could tell me in gory detail about their traumatic experiences with a straight face. You know, the, yeah. the, the emotion isn't registering at all because they're disconnected from it. And how do a lot of these folks disconnect? They drink a lot of alcohol. They, uh, have, they do a lot of benzos, right? Mm-hmm. They're numbing the body. So they yeah. don't have to feel the, the bodily felt sense of emotion. Mm-hmm. So I like art. I like that acronym. Yeah. Well, what else um, would you add in terms of anger and emotion processing? <laughs> so I have a, also a three-letter acronym. That's, it's basically the same thing. It's just the, the three A's of, mm-hmm. of anger processing. So um, awareness like you were talking about, developing awareness of the bodily felt sense, awareness Mm -hmm. of is this primary or secondary, like get curious about your anger. You got to get to know your anger. Um, A lot of times we just feel it, but get a sense for it. Spend Mm -hmm. some time with it. And then the other, the second A is accept. So that's uh, a, this is a feeling that is okay to feel like we were talking about before. It's a messenger. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong about any emotion. So this is a mindfulness approach, a non self judgment approach Mm -hmm. to the presence of the anger. It is okay for me to feel it. We've got awareness, accept. And then the third is address. And that might be transform in the art acronym. Let's address the anger. So addressing Mm -hmm. the anger might be, I need to scream the F word in my car. Yeah. Or it might be, um, I need to breathe and not say anything right now. Because I know if I say something right now with the level that my anger is mm-hmm. at, I might say something I regret. Yeah. I might harm somebody. I need to count to a hundred yeah. or something. So in a, like in the context of a partnership, whether it's a romantic partnership or a business partnership, you might say, hey, um, I, need, I need some time to cool off before we continue this conversation. And yeah. that would be a, a good way to address your anger in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, aware, accept, and address. Brings to mind another strategy, I think, for helping, especially for helping others work through anger, um, and that we can also request as individuals with uh, an intense emotional experience when we need help is validation. Like, Mm. validation, like, takes the hot anger out of the anger balloon um, and helps it uh, kind of rise and fall. And by validate, I, I mean, instead of what our society might have taught us or conditioned us of like, um, don't show anger, like mm-hmm. that's not appropriate, not okay, shut up, don't, don't feel it. That emotional self-interruption, instead of that, it's uh, we can, instead of denying or instead of jumping and trying to fix, we can just say, wow, like I can understand that that would be so incredibly frustrating because, and, and then uh, our, our dear friend and colleague Adela France has some amazing scripts in her emotion focused family therapy uh, modality that help with that. And I remember her saying uh, once in one of her workshops, you got to move from because from the but to because. Um, So it's not like, um, I know you're angry, but But. it wasn't my fault. Like, but come on. Like, uh, instead of that invalidating response that is so common, Mm -hmm. it's uh, uh, because. Like, I would be pissed too because, like, that's not okay. Because this is heavy. Because this hurts. Um, And that just helps the anger move in such a productive way. Well, in her scripts, she, she insists on at least three becauses, yeah. right? <laughs> like you really want to pour on the validation. Yep. Read if, if I could teach one skill, if mm-hmm. I only was, was allowed to teach one skill to the human race, it would be validation. Yeah. It would be how to validate others and how to validate yourself. It is so powerful. Mm-hmm. It's powerful as a parent for your kids. It's powerful as a, a, a partner to any other adult, it's powerful for yourself. It's the antidote to shame. It yeah. is so important. Yeah. It's at the heart of like, it's a practical tool to applying 
empathy and yeah. compassion. So how do you validate yourself? I mean, much in the same way that you validate other people, it's just harder to believe <laughs> when it's coming yeah. from myself. But, uh, I, I think about all the work that's uh, been done. Is it Kristen Neff? Yeah. Uh, on self-compassion. Yeah. So she's amazing. Common humanity is one of those three pillars, I think, or chair legs to, to self-compassion. And that's the one I really like. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, uh, all of us are screwed up. I was having a conversation with my friend the other day about this. Like, hey man, <laughs> everybody's, nobody is as impressive as they appear. <laughs> like, And everyone's amazingly impressive and a hot mess. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. So I love that common humanity concept oh, yeah. that we are all just walking each other home like Ram, Ram Dass would yep. say. And yeah. um, we're all in this together. And uh, that just makes me, as, as a person who has a tendency to compare himself to others, that, that helps helps me self-validate, remembering yeah. that. Yeah, so we can become like the vessel for someone's anger in a way, or like, um, yeah, we can create that safe container for them to feel it. And it is amazing. I agree with you on that skill goes so far in interpersonal interactions, which is a large part of being human. Yeah. Well, folks, it's one of the reasons why Reed and I have a job because for most people, we don't get the kind of validation we need and deserve in our day-to-day life. So you come to a therapist who's professionally trained and maybe called to the work because they're naturally good at validating you. Yeah. So you you sit on their couch and they listen to you and they don't judge you and they don't say, but they say, because, and it feels so good. It feels so good to be witnessed and seen by somebody without judgment, with all your messiness and be told this is understandable. Uh, Yeah. And, and you might not even know what they're doing that feels good, but some of those basic concepts of like mirroring someone's emotional experience and the level of it. Like, uh, if you're, if they're on level eight of this anger skyscraper, Mm -hmm. uh, you might need to get up to floor eight and ride down with them mm-hmm. a few notches gradually, like um, mirroring and co-regulating back to solid ground. Yeah. Um, and uh, there are some basic skills that you know that you learn in the in the psychotherapy world that can go a long way um, applied in day to day life too. Yeah, it helped me out a ton as a as a young parent. Like when my kids were first um, sort of <laughs> coming into their own and expressing yeah. their emotions, uh, learning. To, I think John Gottman's book, How to Raise an Emotionally Intelligent Child, was one that I read early, thankfully, in my um, career as a parent. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that really helped because, man, it, it made all the difference. When, it, when one of my children was having a, like a, a temper tantrum or whatever, if I just said, you're really angry, huh? And that serves to help them learn emotion, emotion uh, yeah. literacy too, right? I'll call it, well, I guess what I'm feeling is anger. Yeah, because, you know, your brother took your toy and that doesn't feel fair. Uh, or like you were mentioned mirroring, sometimes you can go even a little bit higher and see what they'll yeah. do. Like you just want to rip his head off. Whoa, whoa no, I don't <laughs> want to go that far. Helps them kind of understand what level their own emotions are at. Yeah. And if you don't meet it, you might be accidentally invalidating. Like if, if someone says like, I was feel, I was full of terror and I wanted to rip their head off. And you say, sounds like you were a little bit irritated. Right. <laughs> like right. you might've just, uh, you missed the mark. Yeah. You might've just pushed a whole nother button. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is that mirroring co-regulation, uh, piece that can go a long way. And the co-regulation, even like the subtleties of like the rhythm of breathing or, um, you know, just the body language and mm-hmm. things like that can, I mean, we have mirror neurons. Look at us as humans. We, we, uh, respond to all this information, um, in real time in a really impressive way that we're not even aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking again about your question, how to self validate. And sometimes I'll even, and I'll tell my clients to do this if it works for them, uh, to talk to yourself out loud. Yeah. Another form of therapy that you and I really like is internal family systems, um, IFS and, it, uh, the premise being that, that you are composed of many parts, many selves, mm-hmm. and they serve functions. And sometimes uh, it gets complicated, but sometimes the, the, the way that they serve, the roles that they're in are a little self-defeating, sometimes a lot self-defeating. 
And if you can approach those parts from a, what um, Dick Schwartz calls the sort of the capital S self yeah, uh, and heal or witness or validate mm-hmm. what those parts are feeling, then they tend to relax. Yeah. So sometimes I'll even talk out loud to my parts like, wow, Steve, you are feeling really, really frustrated right now. You just swore in the car. That right. was loud. You said the F word. Dang, dude. <laughs> Your mother would be so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're venturing into uh, the, uh, not the validating no, words. No, that's, that's my inner critic. So then I would turn to my inner critic and say, hang on. You'd hop in the other seat. Hop in the other seat, yeah. <laughs> so it reminds me of the process of self-exploration that we have used so much in our emotion-focused ketamine-assisted psychotherapy work right. and other settings. And, you know, in fact, you know, there's a, a link to one, uh, one I've guided, one Adele's guided that we can link to in YouTube. But mm-hmm. um, just a summary of the practice, because I think it's so useful um, for me personally and for anyone pretty much I've done it with is uh, you look at something recent that irritated you, that pushed a button, um, like your story at the beginning. Yeah. And then uh, you look at like, and you start to label, uh, what was that feeling? Like I felt like unheard. I felt uh, like disrespected. Uh, you know, you, you just uh, kind of label the feeling, but then you go back in your memory banks to the earliest time you remember feeling that way. And then you visualize that scene and you can often see the root of it. It's yeah. like, it's, it's surprisingly easier than you'd think to jump back to um, one of the early sources of that. And then that's where the reason I bring it up is the self-compassion comes in, in the sense that to close the loop on that, you can imagine your inner child at that age when that first experience happened and uh, offer comfort, yeah. validation, reassurance. You can practice it like you're talking about in the parts work um, or inner child work. And then uh, it's amazing what that does to the nervous system in the here and now by going to an unmet need that created a deep wound or trauma or repository of shame. And then uh, to get to kind of bring it up in a safe way, feel it, experience it, heal it, let it go is uh, extremely powerful. Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons I really like that exercise is because it, it does a good job of helping you discover that, that unmet need that a lot of times these patterns around emotions are formed. Yeah. They're in reaction to. Yeah. What did you need at the time that you were feeling like, disrespected or unsafe or violated like what you need protection you needed to be seen heard loved understood and maybe that's something we could just touch on because i know we're talking about a lot of different um a lot of parts of a framework of emotions and anger is Mm -hmm. like how do you conceptualize our needs as humans (laughs) needs that's a curveball, Reed. That's that's a, that's a pretty deep topic. Yeah. How do we conceptualize our needs? Like my favorite ones um, that I tend to look to first um, would be, and I, there are a lot of different lists. Even Tony Robbins has a list of yeah. some that he's come up with. But the ones I like are the need to be, need for safety, mm-hmm. for comfort, for love to be seen, understood, celebrated even, mm-hmm. when we forget. Yeah, I mean, of course, Maslow's hierarchy pops into our minds. It's uh, it's one that's often cited, but mm-hmm. sometimes criticized for not being entirely accurate. But usually at the bottom of a, need, like it. A, yeah. a need pyramid or a need hierarchy are those fundamental ones you mentioned, like safety. Um, Food, need, shelter. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, uh, access to a sexual partner so you can procreate from like <laughs> an evolutionary perspective. Like these are sort of our fundamental biological basic needs. <laughs> yeah. Your DNA's needs. Yeah. Yeah. But once those are taken care of, then you can move on to these more higher order, higher order needs, like needing to be witnessed and celebrated and um, accepted to be part of the, the family or the clan or the community or the, yeah. Um, 
And then like to we, feel like you belong. Yeah, yeah, belonging. Belonging is a really important one. Mm-hmm. And then there's sort of these higher, even higher order ones that are like uh, the need to self-actualize or individuate from a. That yeah, I like. Perspective. <laughs> I like that term, the self-actualization, self-realization. Just seems more accessible than enlightenment. Right. <laughs> it, enlightenment seems a little bit like the term perfection yeah. <laughs> or like a, a unattainable holy state even though i you know i personally believe that you know enlightenment if we're going to use that term you know as humans we we spend some time in there and we spend a lot of time in this unenlightened unawake state and uh you know some people spend more time above that line in this like awake, conscious, enlightened kind of state. But, uh, um, but I like the self-actualized, self-realized. It kind of suggests to me that we've gotten to a place where we know we're going to dip down and be unenlightened now and then all the time, but, uh, but we've hit a place of awareness and personal work and development where we can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I referenced IFS a second ago, like, to sort of merge those two concepts together of self-actualization uh, from like a Rogerian or a Maslow hierarchy mm-hmm. uh, perspective and this self, capital S, self perspective. Like all of us by default, according to the theory, have that in us. And yeah. the, the enlightenment process or the self-actualization process is not always, not necessarily a process of building. It's a process of peeling back. Yeah. The conditioning, peeling back the layers so that you can gain access to what's already there. This self that, that already knows how to be compassionate because that's its nature. Yeah. And when we're in touch with it more, maybe that's, you could say, is a form of enlightenment. It's being in alignment or with self energy or it's uh, allowing the, the capital S self to have the steering wheel of your consciousness more often. Yeah. And it's not a destination you reach, right, Reed? It's like, it's not like I'm enlightened. At least I don't think it is, right? I think it's more of uh, a balance beam you have to get back on when, when you inevitably fall off of it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, if anybody tells you they're enlightened, this is, well, this is my personal opinion. I'm an enlightened guru. <laughs> I, I would be skeptical of that person. I don't know if that's just my own like religious trauma that I've gone through in my life, but I, I am highly skeptical of people who are selling themselves as gurus yeah. or enlightened folks. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Ram Dass mm-hmm. with when you said the quote, uh, "We're all just walking each other home," and he's one of my favorite examples of someone I'd call an enlightened being, and he would say, like, he would just have a different way of describing it in yeah. a humble way that embraces his humanity, like of this. Yeah, he's uh, well. For example, when. When Ram Das um, was getting old, he had a stroke. And he was this beloved teacher, guru to many, who would go around and, and just spread good vibes and enlightened wisdom. <laughs> uh, and then he had a stroke. And he became ornery for a bit. Mm-hmm. When he was in the hospital, he writes in his book, uh, his latest book that came out after his death. It's a beautiful work um, called Being Ram Das. He talks about um, some stories of when, like he was just mean to people who came in to bring him a plate of food or balloons or something for a moment. And then he got out of that um, unawakened state and back into that place of like being love instead of... Uh, being suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I remember learning that cause I, I didn't come across Ram Dass until, you know, a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my first exposure to him was his post stroke, uh, like sort of almost Jesus like <laughs> behavior. And I remember being amazed at how he was, how he appeared. Like he's got this stroke, but he's always smiling and he's, and so I, the more I learned about him, I was really happy maybe happy is the wrong word, relieved, I don't know, to, to know that he was human. Like he yeah, went through relatable. that really, really grumpy yeah. phase. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you were grumpy the other day when you wanted to work out. <laughs> it was. Sure was. 
Um, anything else around anger, uh, about, uh, dealing with anger and others? We talked about validation. Sometimes you need to protect yourself from people's anger folks. Like, you know, use your own anger to stand up for yourself, especially if somebody is being violent or abusive or verbally, physically, or sexually or otherwise. Um, there's a great book on, uh, dealing with the, I think the author calls them chronically irrational emotions in other people. It's called talking to crazy by Mark Golston. Mm. And he justifies his use of the word crazy by saying like, we're it's everyone's crazy. Like we all have crazy in us, but some people have these patterns of chronic irrationality that, and here are some tips for how to deal with folks like that. Another thing or disclaimer, I guess I'll mention is some people don't display anger. They've, they lost that beautiful ability Mm. uh, long ago. And I've, uh, fallen into this trap uh, a fair amount through my life too as um, just thinking oh I'm I'm unflappable or thinking it's a good thing that I don't mm-hmm. display anger but when in reality you know we're all like pressure cookers with all this stuff coming in we're storing it in the body um, and uh, it's spilling out in other ways if we don't like open up a valve and consciously release it, uh, like you did in the car, um, it's going to show up. It might show up in like a psychosomatic illness or exacerbation of pain or like mix of undifferentiated negative emotions showing up like depression, anxiety, so many different things like shame is at the, that grows in the dark is at the core of so many mental health conditions. Um, and physical health conditions. I mean, oh, yeah. heart, heart attack in your, in your fifties and high blood pressure mm, you know, yeah. could be because of these unrealized unexpressed emotions. Yeah. So I bring that up to just point out that we all have a, an emotion processing style and there are lots of ways to look at it, but I like a simple categorization of like, um, predominantly self-critical or predominantly self-interrupting. And um, and it's not too hard to tease out. Are you always putting yourself down when something happens? Like, mm. I'm so stupid. Or are you, uh, yeah, one who just doesn't show emotion? And uh, like, even if you think that's a peaceful, um, chill way to go through life, uh, emotions add texture to our lives. They mm not only give information, but, but there's the beauty of the positive emotions and the other side of the coin of the negative, And you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Yeah. So the self-interrupting or self-criticizing way of, of dealing with anger makes me think of sort of, uh, of other defense mechanisms that we'll use against mm. fully feeling our feelings, experiencing yeah. our feelings. The one that always comes to mind is the Freudian one, um, displacement. Where, you know, yeah. you know, your, your boss makes you angry, but you can't strangle your boss because then you lose your job. So you go home and you kick your dog. You're displacing that, that emotion mm. from the place where it belongs to something that's more vulnerable and easier to express it to. And that's an unhealthy, for what we call an immature defense mechanism. Makes me angry at whoever's going to kick their dog and makes me want to protect the dog. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And in an in assertive, empowered adaptive anger way for the survival of those beautiful creatures. There you go. An excellent example of how to move through (laughs) anger in a mature way, Reed. Um, Let's wrap it up. Thank you to our dear listeners for listening to uh, Reed and I talk about anger. Yeah. Yeah. We Um, should have showed a little more anger maybe next time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's start each episode that we have about an emotion. Let's start by completely expressing the full cornucopia <laughs> that's probably the wrong word the oh, full yeah. uh, uh palette wheel of that emotion i'm feeling embarrassment for cornucopia i was gonna ask you how you're feeling yeah <laughs> you can tell i'm hot in the face let's zoom in on red. steve's yeah. face and it's analyze the situation It'd be great for the instagram i know thank you for your vul- vulnerability <laughs> you're it's, welcome it's, yeah it's really refreshing and and helpful for me anyway awesome thanks right. reed Thank you, dear listener, for listening. It means a lot to me. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers is brought to you by Novamind, a mental health company that specializes in psychedelic medicine and research. You can learn more about Novamind's mission to increase access to legal, safe, and evidence-based psychedelic medicine at novamind.ca. 
If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen or watch. Also, if you're feeling generous today, please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you'd like to reach out to us with questions, suggestions, skating criticisms, etc., please email us at psychfrontiers at novamind.ca. Thanks again. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by Numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others, and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So, if you would like to learn more about these trainings, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.